Good morning. that stops. You know, now that we're in December, it's, it's starting to feel more like Christmas to me. You know, although last Sunday, I think, was the first Sunday of Advent. Not I think. I mean, I know last Sunday was the first day of Advent. Honestly, it was kind of hard for me to get into. I don't think, you know, I don't think the turkey in my stomach had really digested. <laughs> but before trying to move on to, you know, Christmas and, and Advent, you know, but now I feel, you know, like we're in December. I feel like the, the weather's changed a bit. It, it feels to me more like Christmas. You know, I think some of the things that are signs to me that um, it feels like Christmas, one, one is Thanksgiving is past, right? That's in the rearview mirror. Second, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they're over with. Right? Did anybody go out? Nobody. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> Third, I, I, feel, I already feel behind. I feel behind with all the Christmas stuff. It's like everything's really cool and copacetic up until Thanksgiving, and it's like I'm calm. And then right after Thanksgiving, it's like I'm behind. You know, and I, and I, and I feel it. And the last, I'm finding these nights that I'm having like anxious, anxious dreams. Right, you know those dreams where you, you, you feel like, oh, I forgot about this test that I'm supposed to take, right? Or I, I forgot about this deadline. I don't know if you still have those dreams. I, I still have those kind of dreams where I miss the deadline. Um, I forgot to study for a test. I wake up feeling anxious. And that's a sign to me, I think, that Christmas is coming. <laughs> Christmas means different things to different people. And to some, it means, it means mad shopping, Right, mad shopping and gift buying. They say over $35 billion was spent between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yeah, I thought we were in a recession. Right, to some it means mad cleaning and decorating. Right, like I gotta get the house all cleaned up, I gotta put up my decorations, and we need to do it yesterday. For some, it means, it means drinking, it means partying. It means an escape from reality. Right? More alcohol is consumed during the Christmas season than at any other time during the year. And sadly, right, when we think about these things, Christmas, it's not a season of peace and joy to everyone. Especially if you're a USC fan or a Team USA fan this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no clapping. <laughs> right? It, it was a tough football and football weekend. But God's peace, God's peace is deeper. It's deeper than that. Right? We know that. As Nancy in Genesis read, God's peace is not of this world. In John 14, 27. It's not something that the world can give or sports can provide. It's not something that presence, that parting, that circumstances can provide. As we'll see this morning, true peace, true peace comes from an unexpected source. Right? And it's a source that's sometimes hard for us to recognize. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 53. 
And we're continuing through Isaiah. Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 53, simply the first three verses this morning. God's word reads, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight. Lord, this passage is maybe confounding, or maybe it's confusing why we're looking at this passage today during the Christmas season. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning that you would touch our hearts, that you would meet us where we're at, Lord, and you would help us to see, Lord, how alive and how relevant and how real and important your word is. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Christmas is about Jesus, right? But there are a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is. You know, when you actually begin to understand who Jesus is, I think one of the first... um, Concepts, one of the first doctrines that you need to come to grips with is the incarnation. The incarnation. Now, the incarnation is a, it's a big fancy word to describe what John 1.14 says, that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, at a certain time and place in history, The God of heaven assumed a human nature and he became a man in the form of Jesus Christ. The Jesus we read about in the Bible and the Jesus we worship was both fully God and fully man. Perfectly divine and perfectly human. And that's why I think it's so staggering to read Isaiah 53 and to understand that the God of heaven sent his only son to this earth, not just to be a man, but to be a man of sorrow and suffering. Look at the words Isaiah uses here. If you have your Bible or your your phone open, he was like a root out of dry ground. This means his, his potential was limited. a seed falls on dry ground, right? You don't really expect it to grow. Yesterday at our house, we had a couple of guys come by, you know, in their pickup, and they have all this seed in the back of their pickup, and and they asked if we wanted to have our lawn seeded, right? And we said, yeah, sure, you know, we haven't done it in, in a few years. Our lawn was dry. It's patchy. But before scattering the seed, right, they put down lots of fertilizer. I mean, that's what you pay for all this fertilizer that they spread out on the lawn, and they told us, and they put down the seed, then they put down vitamins, and then they covered it more with fertilizer and and told us to water it. Right, a root out of dry ground that we see in Isaiah 53, that's not a compliment. It's saying limited potential, limited expectations, low expectations. 
Isaiah says he had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him, nothing that we should desire him. Do you remember your um, high school yearbook? For some of you, that's not going back too far. From some of you, that's pretty far. <laughs> right? Do you remember your high school yearbook? At the end of the year, they would have these silly categories. I think superlatives, right? I think they were called superlatives. And they would select a girl and a guy as best dressed, right? Does this sound familiar? Best looking, right? Most athletic, most likely to succeed. Well, Jesus probably would have been voted least, least likely, right, in these categories. Isaiah says, despised, rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, held in low esteem. And this was not just in reference, right, to his death on the cross. This was about his life. While Jesus demonstrated the wisdom of God in his teaching, the compassion of God to the poor, and the power of God in his miracles, he lacked the things that we usually associate with the blessings from God in his life. He came from humble beginnings. He was raised in relative obscurity. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And ultimately, he was rejected and hung on a cross by his own people. And the question is, why? Why would God make him a suffering servant and not the majestic Messiah that he was? He was the savior of the world after all. Why make it this way? Right? Ask that deeper question. Why would it be this way? Let me give you three reasons why God would do this and how it leads to peace. First, Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Right? Christ's kingdom is not of this world. You see, God is not working off of man's playbook for success. Jesus did not come with pomp and circumstance. If the shepherds, the star, and the angels did not foretell of his coming, and that was actually a fairly small group, mankind would have completely overlooked his birth. His birth was in a manger to a poor teenage couple in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere. Right? It's not the way we would have written it. If Jesus were born today, he would probably be born, this is just right, my conjecture, he would be born in a small town in a third world nation right, or in a slum or barrio somewhere. His birth wouldn't be in the news. He wouldn't be a model or a movie star. He wouldn't have millions of Instagram friends or Facebook followers. I hear some smiling. See how I switch those things around? <laughs> right, Instagram followers, Facebook friends. I just want to make sure you're listening. <laughs> right? he, he, he wouldn't be on the list of people's most beautiful people. Right? You, get, you get the picture. His status as king of kings and lord of lords was ambiguous at best if you judged him by the world standards. 
In fact, mankind still struggles today to recognize who he is. In Jesus' trial before he goes to the cross, he goes before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is puzzled. He asks Jesus, are you a king? Because he doesn't look like one. He doesn't act like one. And Jesus replies, my kingdom is not of this world. Right? The world is concerned with social status, with political clout, or who's best looking, or who's most likely to succeed in our senior class. That's what, that's what the world cares about. We tend to judge people according to how they look in the world's eyes. But Jesus warned, using that criteria will never give us an accurate picture of God's kingdom. My friends, God's kingdom is not built on riches. It's not built on fame or popularity. It's not built on career success. And human judge Human judgment will one day give way to God's order. And in Matthew 19.30, he says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. You know, in the same way, when we pray for revival as a church, and we pray for revival, when we seek and pray for revival, for Christ's kingdom to come, that doesn't mean we're praying for the church to grow big and rich and powerful. You know, it's, it's been that way before. The church has been that way in the Middle Ages. The church has been that way in recent years. And in retrospect, we only see that it leads to sin and corruption. And it's sad to say, but Christianity, our faith, has taken a black eye over recent years because some of its most well-known and popular institutions, churches, ministries, and leaders have been found to be corrupt or dishonest or abusive or exploitative because they've operated under a culture that's just like the world, pursuing money, power, and influence. Right, you ask, what should the church look like then? What does revival look like? I don't think this is profound, right? but the church and Christianity should look like Jesus in its humility, in its servanthood, in its sacrifice, in its dependency on God, and in its ministry to the poor and needy. This is the kingdom of God we see in scripture. And if you're gauging success using the world's standards, then you're going to be confused, I think, or disappointed because Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Second, Christ is one of us. Now, I don't mean for this to sound blasphemous, right, because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the eternal Christ by very nature. Remember, fully God, fully man. And we are but part of his creation. But make no mistake, he came as a man of sorrow 
to be like us. We sang, Come, O come, Emmanuel, which means God with us in our current condition. And he came to ransom us. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we rejoice. He came to be with us and to be one of us. During the Middle Ages, you know, royalty, kings and queens, they would travel through their kingdom from time to time in disguise. Right? So they wouldn't be recognized and they could interact with the people. And the people wouldn't know that they were talking with a king or queen. This was known as being incognito. And I'd imagine that the disguises involve dressing down, looking simple, not standing out. There's a story of one such European royal who, against the advice of his advisors, he traveled incognito across the land for much longer than usual. And when they asked him to stop doing it, he replied, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. Right? It sounds like a just king, a compassionate ruler. In Jesus, we can see a God who set aside the glories of heaven for a life on this earth and then experienced life as we do. Right? I look out and I see all of you and I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you and I don't know you know, all of your, your background and your life experience, but I guess, I would guess that you have known suffering and sorrow. Perhaps you've lost a loved one recently, or you've experienced tragedy in your life, or a setback. Maybe you have regrets about past decisions you've made, or you've been mocked or rejected by others. Right? Who of us can't relate to Isaiah 53 at some level. Because Jesus suffered, he understands us. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Jesus' life shows us that there is a place for God to work in the midst of our sorrows and sadness. You know, a movie was just released, and I didn't know this. I was thinking about this song because I heard the, um, part of the verses from this song, but a movie was just released in theaters a few days ago about Henry Wadsworth Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and the Christmas carol that he wrote. And he wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Now, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the movie. It just, I think, got released in theaters on December 1st. So I'm not recommending necessarily the movie. I'm not Siskel and Ebert and saying, go see this, right? Um, and I don't, so I don't know whether it's, it's good or not, um, but I understand the story. The story is about Longfellow who wrote this Christmas carol about God's peace. It's, it's, it's all about God's peace. And he wrote it after a time of tragedy when his family was torn apart by the Civil War. And his son had to go and fight and was wounded. And, and so 
You know, it's part tragedy. But he, right, he rediscovers his faith on Christmas Day. One of the verses, it says in the Christmas carol, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, one of the verses says, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, I know sometimes that's how we feel. Sometimes suffering seems to be the default. That's where we are. That's the human condition. But in the throes of despair, Longfellow, he rediscovers God's peace on Christmas Day. God is with us in our sorrow and suffering. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weak and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. We can have hope in the despair of life because Christ was a man of sorrows, and he understands our pain. We celebrate Christmas not just because Jesus came to live and then die on the cross, but because he came to live in communion with us and bring us peace. Okay, the last way that I think of that God made, made it this way, why he made him a man of sorrow and suffering, is that Christ's peace is not based on earthly circumstances. Right? And I think we've heard that before. I think Nancy and Genesis said that. Right? It's not earthly circumstances. I think Amanda said as we worshiped, right, his peace goes deeper, much deeper than those things. One of the Hebrew words for peace, you may have heard this, is shalom. Right? Shalom. Shalom is used both as a greeting and as a farewell by the Jewish people. It's kind of like aloha in Hawaii, right? It's used hi and goodbye. But even more than just peace, as we know it, shalom is a blessing of harmony, of wholeness, of well-being, and of reconciliation. It goes beyond earthly circumstances and was sometimes used by, the, used by Jesus to describe his kingdom. We see shalom in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God before they sinned. Right? But once sin entered in, that harmony was broken. That union was severed. And mankind has lost, has been lost ever since. But in the midst of this broken condition, a wonderful promise is given. And we've spoken about it before. It's in Isaiah 9. Right? In the midst of brokenness, this word is given to, to God's people in Isaiah 9. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Right, that's the translation. It's a full peace. Prince of Shalom, of the increase of his government, and Shalom, there will be no end. 
See, these prophetic words of hope and peace are given to Israel in spite of their awful circumstances. Right? We've been in the book for, for several months now, and we know that Isaiah is a prophecy to Israel after they've lost control of their land, after they've right, been taken over by their enemies, and they're in exile. Yet God's peace goes beyond the circumstances. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he says, nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God offers us a love and a peace that transcends the difficulties of life. Obviously, you know, when we look at the world around us, sin, sin still abounds. Right? We see war and violence in the news every day. We see shootings. We see problems in society. But beloved, our hope is not in earthly things. Right? Our hope is in Christ. Amen. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. Right? That's the incarnation. God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God's peace, God's shalom, comes through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Beloved, God is full of surprises. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Therefore, his gifts, they come in unexpected forms. And this is the surprise of Christmas. This is the message of Christmas, that 2,000 years ago, the God of heaven came down as a baby. And this baby was fully God, fully man. And if that wasn't hard enough to understand, this child, our Savior and Lord and King, was sent to be, as Isaiah 53 says, despised and rejected. A man of suffering and sorrow to be held in low esteem. You see what's going on here? This is God pulling a surprise. This is God sending the greatest gift to mankind in a poorly wrapped, unattractive package. This is Jesus, a man of sorrow and suffering. But the packaging, the packaging doesn't matter. What matters is that he came to be with us. What matters is that he came to be one of us, and he came to bring God's shalom. This is the beauty of Christmas. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he makes a way for us to be at peace with the Father in heaven. And at the end of the day, true peace 
comes not from economic prosperity, doesn't come from political unity, doesn't come from a lack of violence or war. It comes from reconciliation with God the Father. That's where mankind finds true peace. This is what we need. We've needed it since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We need it today. This is why he came. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. You know, we're going to move into a time of communion now. And, um, and so communion here at, at West Covina Christian Church um, is open. It's open to all believers. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're invited to join in the family of God and partake of communion. But if you have never made that decision to give your life to Christ and to ask for his forgiveness, right, we're, th- we're thankful. We're so thankful that you're here. Okay, but I would ask that you abstain from taking communion. If you don't have your communion elements, you could raise your hand if you, if you need the juice and the cracker um, and the ushers will come by. And if you're at home, sorry, I kind of forgot about you guys. <laughs> um, you know, I'll give you a minute to, to get your elements. We have been centered on the book of Isaiah for three months now. And Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. Because it is filled with good news. It is filled with prophecy about how God has made a way for sinners to be at peace with him. As we have seen today, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He came to this earth to live with us and to die for us and to die for our sins that we might be forgiven. And so with this in mind, I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes as Rod plays. Let's come before the Lord now and reflect on his sacrifice on the cross and his sacrifice for you and me. If you would take your communion elements.
reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink the juice. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, in this Christmas season, Lord, we we remember how you came to earth as a baby in a manger. Lord, and we, our hearts are so thankful, and we are so thankful, Lord. We pray that you help to deepen our understanding of who you were and what you came to do. Lord, we thank you for being the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, which brings us peace. Lord, we ask, Lord, that we, we would follow you faithfully. We would grow in our love and devotion to you. You would be within us. You would be with us in our everyday lives, Lord, not just on Sundays, not just at communion, but in our everyday lives, that we would walk with you and follow you and love you and worship you. And we pray that you would make us into your image, Lord, that we would be like you, Jesus. Thank you for your your body, and your blood that was shed for us on the cross. And we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.